G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, our special guest through this next hour is John Gagliardi, an Australian journalist, businessman, author and lobbyist. He was founder of the Australian Christian Coalition, which later became the Australian Christian Lobby. He's a former Chief of Staff at National 9 TV News in Brisbane. He was also editor of the Townsville Bulletin newspaper in North Queensland and an assistant features editor of The Telegraph in Brisbane. He was also a former media advisor to the Australian Prime Minister, John Gorton. And so when we talk about John Gorton, we know you're getting a a few years under your belt. Welcome along, John Gagliardi. Thank thank you, Neil. Yes, it's been a few years. It's been a long time since John Gorton was the Prime Minister. (laughs) Back to the late 60s, I think, into the 70s. Exactly, yes. He was a a lad. But then I don't think politicians have changed that much. (laughs) Not really. No, when we we talk about what we're going to do today and uh, we think about the idea of becoming an activist, uh, someone who doesn't necessarily want to get out and wave banners and placards on the street, but realising that in the 21st century you can actually be an activist from your armchair, where you can actually have your say, where you can be influential, where you can not only write letters but send emails and be involved in social media. There's lots of ways that people can be activists. I guess today, if we draw on your wisdom, when we talk about activism, becoming involved politically, Uh, we want to be able to hear about what sort of response comes from politicians when the people begin to speak up uh, in in numbers. Uh, Are politicians the same as they've always been? Are they really reactive to the way that people uh, actually put their point forward? Uh, What do they do when they're receiving those emails, uh, when they receive that letter across their desk? How do they they react? Well, Neil, the... The people in, in a politician's electorate are their lifeblood. They're there because of those people. And I think as Christians, we sometimes can feel like, especially these days, we're a marginalised minority, whether that's real or not, I don't know, but I think that's a perception. And then people just pull back and, and, and watch, let it all happen. And you mentioned the Australian Christian Lobby, and I think that's great. I mean, obviously, uh, I was the founder, and I think it's a fantastic organisation, but it's a big mistake to think the ACL will do it for you. The ACL operates on a national level and does a number of major things very, very well. But if you want to influence your local politician at a local level, then I think that's very much an individual thing. I've never been a big fan of of, of, uh, sort of protests and placards outside abortion clinics and things. For people who do that, you know, great. That's not been my thing. And I think it's very easy for those things to tip over and become negative. The media will tend to portray them as, as radical ratbags and things like that. So if that's your thing, that's great. But I think politicians will tend not to be too influenced by, by that. Um, I, I think a politician every day will, will look at his mail, and if he gets one or two or ten letters from constituents, that would be unusual. So you know, don't, don't 
think don't don't worry about writing letters to the to the to your local politician. He's going to he's have people in his office. They're going to respond. He has to respond. In fact, letters to the editor. Again, another thing that um, a lot of people think. Uh, you know, if you write a letter to the editor, it's it's not going to get used. I mean, I used to <laughs> many years ago. I used to run the uh, Telegraph newspapers edit letters to the editor, and there were days when we didn't get enough letters, and I had to write them. Okay, there's some confessions coming here now. There's a confession. So uh, does this happen uh, uh, typically in a lot of newspapers, and would it still happen today when Uh, there are letters to the editor and, uh, hey, there's not enough in the mailbox this morning, we better uh, better manufacture a few? Does that still happen? I I think in in serious papers like The Australian or the major papers, probably not. The Telegraph was a tabloid. People more interested reading about the latest turf news and the racing than, than, than things like that. So I think that was probably an unusual situation. But I guess my point is that there's a good chance your letter, especially if you keep it short, sharp, and 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 you know uh, try to try to use good grammar and good spelling. Because if a letter comes that's obviously sloppy and and you know it'll tend to be you know editors are just humans, and a letter that's badly written and full of punctuation and grammar mistakes probably will have less chance of being used. But honestly, um, you know, most letters are used. And politicians watch them assiduously. If they don't read them themselves, they'll have somebody in their office who every day will, will go through the local paper, the, you know, the suburban throwaway, the courier mail, whatever. And believe me, one letter to the editor printed is probably worth a thousand uh, letters coming in to the politician. But they're just very, very sensitive to those kinds of things. And go in and see your local politician. Again, I, I had somebody recently that had an issue, and I said, just go and see your local member. And they said, oh, no, they'd never want to see me. They, what, what could I say? And I said, they're just people. And, I mean, they work for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're our servant in a sense. We pay, we're, our, we're taxpayers. We pay for their, their salary. So go and see them. They have to see you. They can't say no. Uh, they may not want to see you if it's an issue that's a little bit controversial, but uh, you can do it. And you'll have a big impact if you do that. And if you are persistent enough, if you get a knockback one day, that doesn't mean that you can't say, well, uh, give me the nearest available date and time. And uh, and really, you can almost insist on seeing your politician. Absolutely. It's your, it's, 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 I wouldn't say it's a constitutional right, but certainly any politician that, that refuses to see constituents um, isn't very serious. Obviously, if your local member happens to be the prime minister or a minister, it's much more difficult, and you, that that's obvious. But you know, for the for the average person in the average, um, you know, federal or state or local, I mean, don't, don't also remember you've got a local ward, um, alderman or councillor these days. Um, you know, our local one where I live is Adrian Schwinner, happens to be the deputy mayor. There's a man, you know, he's our local our local alderman, our mm-hmm. local councillor. Mm-hmm. Well, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you've ever written a letter to the editor and you've had it published, you might like to let us in on how things went with that. Or if you've written a letter or sent an email or signed a petition to your local politicians and did you get a response? Was it an ad- was it an adequate response? Well, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Uh, to be part of our conversation today, our talkback line is open. Our special guest is John Gagliardi. John, I mentioned in the introduction there uh, that you were the founder of the Australian Christian Coalition. It's then become the Australian Christian Lobby. Uh, fill us in on the story because it's a fascinating story. Well, early in the... and I, I had a background in politics. In, uh, I did political science at university. Then at Channel 9, I, w- I went there as political reporter. 
before I was chief of staff, and um, I just really loved politics. Um, they say, what's the old saying? You never want to watch laws or sausages being made. It's going to be fun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I, uh, I was invited to be the speaker at the um, Parliamentary Christian Breakfast in Canberra in the Great Hall of the, the, <laughs> the Great Hall of the People at the Great Hall in, in, in Parliament House. Um, and uh, it was a it was a very it was you know there was about a thousand people there and it was quite a big event uh, ambassadors and uh, archbishops the whole bit and I'm I come from a, a charismatic stream in fact I was the very first charismatic Pentecostal whatever you want to call it that was ever invited to speak and I was warned you know you've got exactly twenty minutes do not talk about this baptism and the Holy Spirit or Heaven forbid, speaking in tongues and all this wild stuff. You know, it's very, very... Yep. And, I, you know, I'm not stupid. I've preached in Baptist churches, so I know about that. So I did that, and, and it was very well received. And I got a, a message to come up and see uh, Tim Fisher, who was the then National Party leader, and I and, and, uh, went up and saw him, and, and Tim said... Um, uh, well, actually basically invited me to... Um, to tell you, he invited me to um, stand for a, a safe seat. And he said, we'd like to have you in, in Parliament. And I think being cynical, what he saw was that the National Party could, in those days could reach out to this charismatic Pentecostal group, not as big as it is today. I mean, today you've got Hillsong and C3. I, I was involved with the Christian Outreach Centre, which in those days had, I think, about 6,000 people in Brisbane. Um, but it was, an, I think, as an area where they weren't reaching into. So, but, you know, I was flattered. Young man, um, I thought, wow. So I went home and told my wife and... My wife, um, who always does her due diligence, said, are you sure? I thought about it. I guess I know too much about politics, haven't been a political reporter, and I thought, yeah, you, you, once you become you know, a, a captive of the party, your freedom to, to move beyond that is very limited. And um, around that time I, I was um, uh, meeting with and, and uh, spending time with a fellow called John McNichol, who was a, I think he was a, I can't remember if he was Baptist or Church of Christ, but he had been a policy advisor to Lionel Murphy, who was the Attorney General under Whitlam. So his politics were very much to the, to the, the left. left. Uh, I, of course, had been an advisor to John Gorton. I was very much to the to right, right of centre. Mm. Not a radical right, not the ratbag right, but to the right. <laughs> yep. So I said to him, you know, I had this offer, but I, 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 would, I would think it would be better to actually influence politics from the outside and you could do it from all points of view said it from a party perspective, and he said, well, I said, somebody should do it. And he said, well, you do it. And I said, well, you know, why me? He said, well, you know, you, you've been on television, you know how to use the media. So he formed, he actually formed the, the, the company or the organisation uh, called Australian Christian Coalition. Um, I was the front man, I was the show pony because I could use media, and we became quite influential. Um, we spoke on all sorts of issues. And we, we got to the point where if the ABC wanted a comment from, uh, from the Christian perspective, um, they came to me. And I, I, I went and I talked to um, all the major church leaders. I wasn't Hillsong then, but the AOG. I talked to Phil Pringle at C3. I talked to the Anglican Archbishop, the Catholic Archbishop. I talked to the moderator of the Uniting Church. Basically get their agreement that they would support this new idea of a, of a Christian coalition to, rep, to, to bring godly Judeo-Christian values back into politics. That was the basic thing. They all said yes. So I was able to stand up with, with honesty and say that we had the support, basically, of the entire Christian community in Australia. 
That got us. That got us. You know, that got us some kudos and, and some credibility. It was an amazing time because I guess what you had founded uh, in those early days, uh, you might have anticipated that it would grow. But uh, but when you look at the Australian Christian lobby today, and of course uh, Lyle Shelton is a regular guest on our program here, and uh, the Australian Christian lobby in some respects leading the charge on the defence of marriage between one man and one woman. Did you anticipate that it would grow to have the level of respect that it does have today? I'm not sure that I really planned ahead at all. It kind of grew like topsy. Suddenly, it was I was being, you know, I was appearing on Channel Nine, Channel Seven, ABC. Everybody was talking about the Australian Christian Coalition, and I was being attacked too. You know, as a right, you know, we were the right right wing rat bags and things. But it, the fact that I had John McNichol with me, we were the two <laughs> public faces, Whitlam and or, or Lionel Murphy and, and Gorton. So you, we had, we, you know, our two wings were were very balanced. But um, it, I guess the thing that I always worried about it, it was that some journalist, investigative journalist, would say to me, look, how deep, what, what is the structure, the formation of the ACL? Well, the ACL in those days was three or four well-meaning people with a lot of front and basically no, no substance. Hmm. So I was going around the, 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 the country speaking in capital cities trying to basically found branches in each city. So I did this in Brisbane at the... In fact, I did it in Brisbane at the um, Salvation Army Temple, in Sydney at Wesley. So, and then in Canberra, we did it, I did it at the... I think it was a Canberra club, three or 400 people there, um, did my, my thing. And at the end of it, um, I, I was having people coming up and, and speaking, and I was in, inviting them to actually sign the book and join. So we had actual members, apart from just supporters. And uh, this young... Youngish, very ordinary-looking man came along, and he said, "Oh, I love that idea. I've always just been, you know, called to this. I reckon I'd love to get involved." And I, I guess a lot of other people had said that, and I said, "That's fantastic. You know, move along and sign the book." And you know, this is where the God thing just sometimes comes in. As he went, I thought, "Ah, I just called him back, and I said, "What's your name?" He said, "Ah, Jim." And we had been praying as a board that God would bring somebody along who had a strategic. Approach. You know, the word was strategy, that we could strategize this thing and, and build it on a strong foundation. And I said, well, I said, what do you do, Jim? He said, I'm the leader, of, I'm the commander of the Australian SIS. Oh. <laughs> and he said, and I've just yeah. finished a, a course at Duntroon on strategic planning and development. And I said, come back here, Jim. And, uh, you know, I think that afternoon, he might, I can't remember now whether we joined the board that day, but that's how Jim got involved. And the honest truth is that, you know, I, I guess I'm pretty good at starting things and being the front man, but I've never been good at, 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 at long-term management and things. So this is where you needed Jim Wallace to come along. Jim has brought the ACL, I think, to a level of credibility that I never could have, and I give him all credit for that. And now Lyle, of course, has taken over from Jim. Jim is still chairman, and I think Lyle's doing a fantastic job. I watched him on Q&A the other night. He's articulate. He wasn't, you know, he had, I think he was the only conservative on this entire panel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he just really did a, did, a, did a great job, I think. And this idea of succession of leaders is very important too. And uh, if I'm talking to you just briefly about leaders, because in your current role, uh, you have a development role here in Australia, which is all about leadership with the Haggai Institute. Uh, brief, uh, in a nutshell, what do you do with the Haggai Institute? Because it's all about leaders, training leaders, succession of leaders. Absolutely. It's all about influencing the world. 
And the the genius of John Haggai, who started this 50 years ago, was that he, he felt that the old colonial model of influencing nations, sending a, a bright young pair of Europeans over to the darkest Africa and they spend 50 years to convert a tribe, just wasn't that efficient. So he, he had the idea that um, instead of that, we identify credentialed leaders already in third world countries, in countries where you could never send a missionary into Iran and, and the Sudan and places like this. And we, you know, through certain ways, we, we identify people like that. We take them to a residential training course in various parts of the world, uh, two or three week training session, and train them in, in evangelism and leaders. And they go back into their country and commit to train a further hundred. So you get this exponential growth. And I, you know, if, if you influence a leader already, a credentialed, influential person in that country, the impact is huge. My wife and I, we, we sponsored it many years ago, sponsored a young man in um, the Philippines who was a lawyer. And uh, he went back, he trained about 600 others in the Philippines in evangelism and, and advanced leadership, and he ended up chief justice of the country. So Haggai leaders are, are serious people. We've got people like the current Coptic Pope is a Haggai alumnus. Um, so these people, they're not all that, they're not all obviously at that level, but we have chief justices, vice presidents of countries um, at that level. And if you get people like that, they have that influence, and it's all about spreading that influence for, the, for God through communities. Well, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Let's hear from Janice in Roma. Hello. Welcome along, Janice. Oh, hi. How are you? Very well. It is Janice, is it? Can, it's Janet. Can you hear me? Janet. Yes, I can hear you. What are oh, your good. thoughts, it just Janet? just a bit crackly. What are your thoughts, Janet? I just wanted to tell you a story about my eight-year-old son and just say that, it, you know, really I think that you don't, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can be an activist. Uh, my eight-year-old son is very against smoking. He has an uncle who smokes, and he's tried to tell him that it's really bad for him, and he sees cigarette packets with, you know, pictures of cancer and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that's really impacted Matthew. And so he wanted to do something to help, and he suggested that he write a letter to the shop, local shop IGA to ask if they could stop selling cigarettes. And my husband said, why don't you write to the Member of Parliament? So he wrote a letter to Bruce Scott, who's our Federal Member of Parliament, and to his credit, uh, their office contacted us and asked if Matthew could come in for an interview. And he spent quite some time chatting to Matthew and just explaining how things work and how it wasn't possible to actually ban cigarettes, but that um, you know Matthew really should start at his level and speak to his teachers and his friends at school and things like that. And he got a photo taken with Matthew and they put that, I sent that to our local paper and they published that and put that on the internet as well. And Matthew's just so excited at the idea that, you know, he can, he can actually change things. And I think, you know, it's really important for us to encourage our children that they can be life changers, like they don't have to wait until they're adults, they can actually change things um, when they're young. So he's gone off to school today, very excited that he's going to speak to his teachers and and um, be able to stand up in front of parade and tell the other kids about what he's done. Well, Janet, that is just a wonderful story, and you've got a young activist reformer who's yes. ready to make a difference in the world. And uh, John Gagliardi, this uh, this is the sort of thing that newspaper editors look for. They look for something a little bit different, I guess, and and a story to tell. Absolutely. I mean, this young man's going to go a long way. Yeah, yes. I can see he's already a politician. But. <laughs> <laughs> But, I did tell, there's an up-and-coming politician in our town, and I did say to him, watch out, because I can see this guy going to Canberra, and I said, watch out, Matthew's on your trail. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, I think it's great that, you know, when young people become interested, I mean, it doesn't matter which party or whether it's just one of the smaller parties, although I personally think that the larger parties are where policy's made, 
But then if you have the balance of power, of course, like the, the, the independents have in the, the, the Senate. But uh, no, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And it's a great example of, of just how an ordinary person can, can reach out and do things. And really, I think your local paper, you said Roma, yes. go to your local paper and tell them a story. And you, yes, they'll, they'll write, that. We sent, yeah. I sent that <laughs> off to them. And they right. put about, it's about a third of a page in the paper last week. There you go. And yeah, so he was yeah. so excited when my husband brought the paper home and showed yeah. him that he got into the paper. So, yeah. yeah. And Janet, that's great in Roma. And uh, John, if I was saying, it's probably easier when you're in a country town uh, to get those stories into the local that's paper. Right. You can have a big influence on your town. Absolutely. Well, I used to run the Townsville Bulletin. And um, uh, you know, people think it's hard to get stuff into the local paper. But as I was saying before, Often we're scratching for local news. I mean, there's no shortage of news coming on the, um, the, the, the you know, the, the, the internet line from the world. But a local paper wants local news, and especially local people. People want to read about people, and something will go, especially a kid. It's just fantastic, and that's a great story. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is John Gagliardi, as we mentioned, and he told the story. He was the founder of the Australian Christian Coalition, which later became the Australian Christian Lobby. He's also a former chief of staff at the National 9 TV News in Brisbane. Now, these are some years ago, but what a tremendous uh, uh, background uh, we're talking about today when we discuss the idea of becoming a backyard activist. Uh, He was also editor of the Townsville Bulletin newspaper in North Queensland. He's also a former media advisor to uh, the then Prime Minister uh, of Australia, John Gorton. His current role, he's working with the Haggai Institute in Australia, developing Christian leaders. What we're talking about, how you uh, go from uh, being someone who just observes what's happening to becoming a participant, an activist when it comes to the way your community functions and the change that can happen in the nation. And what a great story we had from Janet in Roma just a few moments ago. Uh, Let's just enlarge on that for a moment, John, because when you've got something that's little, and there's an eight-year-old child who says, I don't think it's good for my uncle to smoke those cigarettes. How can I do something about it? Taking something from little to big, uh, there's 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 a sort of a challenge there, isn't there, for us? Absolutely, Neil. Well, you can see here's a, a child reaches out. What, you know, what can he do? But obviously his mother encouraged him. Uh, the, the local politician was smart enough to, to move on it. And it ends up, what, a third of a page in the local paper. I mean, the things, and, and that's going to develop beyond that. So it's a great example of what any ordinary person can do. And, I mean, I've, I've seen it, you know, things change dramatically because people get up. And obviously politicians are motivated by numbers. I mean, one person can make a difference like that, especially if you get the local paper involved and, and especially if there's a, you know, a child because there's a human interest element to that. But numbers are, are the, the game. I just, just during the break, I just mentioned that one qualification I would make, and I've been involved with churches who've done letter-writing campaigns to politicians over issues like abortion and same-sex marriage and things, Um, the wrong way to do it is to put out a sample letter and ask everybody to either photocopy it and send it or to write it out, those words, in their own own handwriting, because politicians are very aware that that's a, a, a coordinated campaign and they'll give that, that much less credibility. So I would advise churches and groups, if they're going to do things like that, 
you know, motivate people, but just to make it in their own words, use their own ideas. And then each one, if a politician gets 100 letters all the same, he'll see it like one. If he sees 100 letters from different people, all coming from different perspectives, then that's a big deal, and he's going to take much more notice of that. Let's talk about that letter that you might write, because this is where sometimes uh, we can get caught up and say, uh, what sort of special skill is required uh, to actually make sure that that letter actually does communicate what I want it to say. And uh, it's all very well hearing from John Gagliardi, an award-winning journalist. Uh, But uh, when I'm thinking about writing my letter, I mean, I guess if it's too professional, it's something a bit suspicious about that. Mm. So really you've got to be able to articulate what you think in your own words and get that into the hands of people who who are reporting these things. Yeah, the sort of advice I would give to people who want to write to ed- letters to the editor or to their local politician is don't try to be too smart. Don't try to go to the dictionary and find the biggest words which were most impressive. I mean, when we, when I was a young journalist, we were taught, you know, just keep your words short. Um, what's the old saying? Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. <laughs> kiss. kiss. And really, that's, that's, that's true. Um, just, you know, passionately and clearly make your point of view. Um, Try to come to an action point at the bottom. I mean, not much point just writing a letter of complaint unless at the bottom you say, I want to come and see you or I, I ask you to do this. So try and make an action point at the end and, uh, and end it with, a, with, a, with some sort of request for a meeting or something like that if it's to a politician. But, and don't make it too long. You know, don't, a page is good, two pages max. Don't, go, don't write a book or, again, it's not going to get read. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Ursula in New South Wales. Hello, Ursula. Welcome along to 2020. Good morning. Need to be fairly quick, Ursula. What are your thoughts? Oh, it's just um, activism is something we can do very quietly in our our daily life, and um, I call it probably um, fiscal activism or financial activism. Um, You know, there's many, many people that have... um, you know, done the research on halal certification and, um, you know, other things that we can actually spend our money wisely, which is actually God's money. We, we're stewards of God's money. So, you know, it's something that's not out there, but it's just very quiet, um, you know, quietly done that we um, pray and do our research and to see that we don't buy halal certified, you know, foods. And eventually I believe that has a, a big impact because a lot of uh, big businesses have now gone... Um, on board for the SSM campaign and, you know, I've, I've always let them know, insurance companies, when I've changed them. Ursula, I'm going to have to cut you short because we've got the news coming and the news doesn't <laughs> wait for anyone. But uh, we'll, if you're happy to stay on the line, it'd be good to pursue this after the news. Okay, uh, yeah. I'll just okay. invite uh, listeners 1-800-316-316 to join our talkback conversation. We'll continue after news. How do you get the confidence to speak up when you know that you should speak up? Well, our special guest is journalist, businessman, author and lobbyist John Gagliardi. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. Before the news, we took a call from Ursula in New South Wales. And Ursula was sharing some things about her concerns when it comes to the issue of halal certification. And uh, Ursula is still with us. Ursula, uh, what we just uh, you might need to uh, just come back to what you were sharing before the news. What were your main concerns? Are you there, Ursula? Aspect of what I was saying. Um, my concern is that we use our 
uh, worldly resources or financial resources for the kingdom of God. And really, I'm only taking... Um, I, I, I learned this actually from the homosexuals themselves back in '95, when they had the pink dollar campaign and they were trying to bring the Tasmanian um, government to their knees to change the sodomy laws, which they eventually achieved. I'm not quite sure if it was actually that campaign that did it. but I So Ursula, what you're saying is, uh, when we're talking about halal certification or where you're talking about homosexuals, what you're saying is that we ought to be learning a few things, taking a few leaves out of of what those uh, activists are doing and actually understanding the process of of how you actually get uh, influence. Is that what you're trying to say? Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm trying to make, trying to say that make money talks, you know, they're saying money talks. And uh, if we can put financial pressure on, on you know, it's mainly worldly organisations that have, you know, joined either the Hello uh, Gang, I mean, they've been intimidated a lot into actually paying the Hello tax when it wasn't even required by, by Islam. Uh, when you're saying about uh, applying financial pressure, the idea of, uh, well, if you're going to pay that money to have halal certification in your store, then uh, then applying financial pressure would be from the Christian perspective, as you might be suggesting, uh, to say that, uh, well, we're not going to support that store anymore. Is that the sort of thing you're saying? That, that's, that's one thing. But the other thing also is also to let companies know that there's actually more of us than is of them that put the pressure on them. What I'm uh, yes, because there can be a big out-of-balance uh, idea there because uh, that's right. Uh, sometimes a minority group looks bigger than it actually is. Exactly, yes. So if we can actually put, put our money where our mouth is and just let the companies know that there are more Christian customers than there are those who require halal certification or those who want to support same-sex marriage. I mean, a lot of people don't know that companies have gone on board with same-sex marriage. We actually found that out from the Marriage Equality website ourselves. Ursula, let's get some thoughts from our guest, John Gagliardi. John, uh, your thoughts on what Ursula is sharing. Well, certainly that, you know, the power of the dollar is huge. I can remember many years ago, um, you might remember a gentleman by the name of Jack Sonneman. He used to run, a, still does, I think, an anti-pornography does, campaign. That's right, uh, the Australian Federation for the Family. Yes, exactly. And I remember um, Jack targeted, I can't remember whether it's Penthouse or Playboy, and he targeted the, the company's that were advertising in those. And he got the people in his federation to, to write and basically say, we won't buy those products. And I remember it, it dramatically, those ads just disappeared out of, out of those newspapers very quickly. I mean, companies, uh, sorry, magazines, companies are very sensitive to that. And it just surprised me when I see Qantas and some of the big companies in Australia you know, buying on to that whole gay marriage Thing. I mean, I know it's the cause du jour, but you'd wonder why they would do that because they've got to realise a lot of people who don't, uh, I guess they're just trying to be trendy and, and secular, but, um, you know, co- companies, but, you know, if you, if you can get enough people, if you can sort of dramatise the fact that a good proportion of the population are going to stop buying your product, then I think that's a powerful thing. Thank you so much to Ursula from New South Wales for your input today on 2020. Uh, really appreciate that. And our time 
uh, still continuing. We've got some time to take your calls. 1-800-316-316 to join into our conversation. 1-800-316-316, our talkback line open. John Gagliardi is our guest. Uh, John, when it comes to companies, now you're a businessman as well, as all of these other things we're talking about, author, a journalist. Uh, when you are in business, how sensitive are you that your customer base may be eroded away if there are activist groups trying to uh, tell your customers don't support that business anymore? If you, if, oh, I think they're very, very sensitive. And that's what they exist to do, is to make a profit. And if their bottom line is affected, then they're going to change their policy. So big companies like Qantas, or, or well, we're talking Qantas, somebody mentioned Qantas had uh, signed on uh, some sort of endorsement yeah, I, I there, think... but uh, other, all sorts of companies, big companies, yeah. uh, where uh, if they are aware that there is a large proportion of their potential customer base that may well react against using their product or their service, uh, then they are likely to take notice. Yes, I mean, I guess it's hard to direct that in Australia particularly, but a big church can do it. I mean, a church like Hillsong with whatever, I don't know, 40,000, 50,000 people. That, you know, if all the churches came together and boycotted a, a product that was supporting a particular cause that we didn't, you know, we disagreed with vehemently, then that's powerful. And now we watch, um, I don't know if you do, but we watch Bill O'Reilly on Fox News and he's got six million viewers. He's a conservative Catholic, um, you know, in a, in a media place in America that's, that's generally very secular. But every so often, Bill gets a burr in his saddle and he gets his people to boycott things. And boy, he's made some changes. He boycotted France once, I think. <laughs> Is that right? It's interesting when you talk about uh, big churches and, uh, you know, sometimes people do identify Hillsong Church or even mm. mega churches that are in various capital cities around the nation. But there are a lot of country towns that have a fairly substantial church base and sometimes, you know, big churches that meet in country towns. If you've got an issue locally uh, or if you've got your local politician involved and the largest church in town or a number of the smaller churches group together, that actually makes a bigger statement when, you, when you're talking activism. Absolutely. I mean, churches are already organised. Uh, we've got. I think you've got to be careful with churches that they don't become politicised. I think that's wrong. Uh, I would certainly not agree with, with the pastor getting up and saying vote for A or B. But when it comes to issues of morality and Judeo-Christian issues, I mean, like gay marriage, like this, this safe schools thing we've we've been hearing about, like uh, abortion, Christians, generally speaking, have got a fairly concerted view on that. And I think we're entitled to use our numbers. We forget that this country is a Judeo-Christian nation. The Constitution starts with reference to God. I mean, this is where we started. And I think, and this is the reason I think that the um, same-sex lobby is so frightened of the plebiscite, that when it comes to the crunch, the silent majority in Australia are probably not as progressive and left-leaning in these issues as, as maybe a lot of people think. But I think we can, we can get that together. Um, but as I said, it's just be careful. That I think we have to be careful. We don't sort of get become politicised, and I think that's not a good thing. I often say somebody's morality is being legislated. Why not yours? One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Our talkback line is open. Let's take a call from Elmer in Tamworth in New South Wales. Hello, it's Elmer. Is it? That's correct. Yes. Elmer, what are your thoughts? Well. I'm very much against gay marriage and I used to uh, ring the local station and um, say, give my thoughts on it and I 
used to hear people ring back saying how dreadful I am for saying that I was against it. I just feel that it's... Uh, Alma, you've so, had to develop a bit of a thick skin, I imagine. <laughs> yes. And uh, and very quickly, while I, before I forget to, Ursula, who rang up about the halal foods, uh, it's, I had a, have a booklet on it somewhere, and I was trying to find it to give her the name, but there, you won't eat anything if you uh, try and dodge halal foods. A friend and I used to take the book around and, and look, and there's just about everything you could possibly think of is halal. It's been a very successful campaign from the Muslim community to introduce uh, this halal certification into Australia and uh, I guess that's where so many people have been so concerned about that because uh, it really, when it comes down to it, when you all boil it all down, it's become a tax on Australians that goes to the Muslim community and, uh, and, and of course, uh, Christians have been up in arms about that and uh, concerned about it. Elmo uh, from Tamworth, uh, great getting your thoughts today. Any uh, response from you, John Gagliardi? Well, I, I think there's a cost too if we, if we oppose that. I mean, a good example is lint, um, lint chocolates. They stood out against Halal. And, of course, where was the attack in Sydney? At the Lint Cafe. So we need to count the cost if, we, if we're going to stand up and, uh, and take these sorts of issues on. But... I think halal is, is something that, that, that we should look at. I don't, it, certainly, I object to it. But I think it, it, it's supposed to have the little um, halal certification on the actual product. But um, I, I don't know how often you see that. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. Thank you to Elmo from Tamworth in New South Wales. Uh, we're talking about becoming a backyard activist uh, I wonder whether you've ever thought about how your voice might be heard, uh, whether it is a letter to the editor, whether it is a visit to your local politician. Uh, perhaps uh, it's just keeping people in your local church informed about what's going on. Interestingly, John Gagliardi, there are a lot of people that just don't know what's going on. And if we talk about that issue of becoming confident, uh, you have to actually become informed. I guess being informed is, is the foundation for having some confidence to be able to speak and knowing what you've got to say is sound and substantial. Absolutely, Neil. I mean, I would, I guess as a former journalist, I'd, or I, I read the newspapers and I think a lot of people don't. Um, they, they just say it's all... It's all bad news and they're sick of reading about gay marriage and all the stuff that's going on and just and just basically try to avoid it. But I think that's wrong. I mean, if you're going to engage, you need to be fully um, informed. And I think it's worthwhile reading your local paper, even if you do it online, which increasingly is the way to go these days. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I watch Q&A every week. I keep telling myself I'm not going to watch it anymore. You're addicted. After I've stopped screaming, but then next week I find myself doing it. But you learn stuff. And I think that's important that we know you you can't fight something that you don't understand the other side's strategy. I mean, somebody mentioned the the gay strategy. I mean, as somebody who spent a lot of time in public relations and and lobbying, I think that the gay campaign has got to be the most powerful PR campaign in the history of the world in, what, 20 or 30 years to go from something that was illegal and vilified to something that is not just accepted but almost to the point where it's held up to be, if you want to be 
modern and trendy and, and secular, then this is the way you have to go. It's just such an incredible change. You are making a very powerful point uh, when you look at the alternative campaign and say they're running a good campaign. Uh, and then you look at the campaign that's running to defend marriage between one man and one woman, uh, and you say, well, there are a whole lot of things lacking here, uh, or or at least this side of the campaign is not as shiny and as bright as what that other side looks. Uh, so something has to happen. And uh, and and as you say, you, you can just say, well, you can just rely on the Australian Christian lobby or other groups that might be uh, defending marriage, but, but they are all trying to lead the way, what they need is followers, people who are going to be informed, people who are going to have some substance to what they've got to say to actually bring mm. that into uh, the situations in local communities. Absolutely. I mean, on this issue, if you feel strongly about it, get involved. I mean, by all means, I think, go to the ACL website. Uh, there's a number of things there, petitions and things, which, which we can all be part of. But don't leave it to the ACL and other, other bodies like that. I mean, we can all, as... as we heard earlier with, was it Janet? The, uh, well, we've had uh, the, Janet and Elmer and the, Ursula. And, yeah, yep. I mean, people who are, who are, who are interested in, in taking action. Um, and it's good to understand what the opposition do. I mean, I've, because I've been in PR, I understand what they've done. I mean, first, they, they, they manipulated the language. Nobody wants to, you know, nobody thinks that homosexual is a good word or worse. You know, sodomite, which is the old mm. biblical term. If you take make it gay... And even homosexual marriage doesn't sound that great, but call it marriage equality. You start to fine-tune the language. Then you start to manipulate statistics. I think we mentioned during the break that uh, many years ago, the Kinsey Report, major sex study in America, found that 10% of the population were homosexual. That electrified politicians. They couldn't possibly ignore 10% of the people. Then it turned out, when people dug a bit deeper, that the Kinsey Report based their sample on a male prison population, which is a totally skewed example. So there's a clever way to use words and statistics, and just so, and it's it's a it's a, it's a calculated, concerted, long-term campaign, well funded, and now it's almost to the point where you look you look antediluvian if you don't jump on the bandwagon. Worse, you become a hater. I'm so tired of that word. Everybody who doesn't jump on the, the bandwagon is a hater by definition. Words. And this is all a part of the battle. It's a battle for hearts and minds. Uh, when we talk about a biblical foundation, there is a faith element here uh, in this whole argument. And just for people who are thinking, uh, is that one in 10 a true statistic? Uh, well, it's been well and truly uh, proven that uh, the element of homosexuality in the population is closer to 2%, Absolutely. Uh, not 10%. Yep. Uh, but it's interesting when you talk about uh, all of these different elements. They didn't happen by accident. Uh, there were clever people who were activists in their field who got that information out, who influenced the journalists, who were forming the opinions of the population. These sorts of things are very important. So if you sit there and you are just an armchair observer, uh, you're probably not reaching the potential you need to reach because it, this is it's getting to a point, isn't it, John? Uh, people have to start moving and speaking and taking action. Otherwise, uh, we'll be steamrolled. Yeah, I think as Christians, as I said right in the beginning of the program, we think we're a marginalised, weak, old-fashioned minority. We just live in our little ghettos. 
But unless we get out there and, and, and use our numbers and, and the, the genuine power that we do have, if, if, we could, if we could focus it and harness it and understand that there is a campaign, there is a calculated, smart, powerful, well-funded campaign for gay marriage, and it's, it's become a steamroller. And we've got to be prepared to also to stand up and, and take it on the chin. Because the minute you go public, I mean, I've done it. I, I, I'm pretty active on social media and, and things like that. And, you know, some of the stuff that, that's come back against me, you know, hater is, a, is just a, a, one of the kinder words. And you've got to be prepared for that. They use those words like weapons. one 316 to join in our conversation. Let's take a call from Michelle in Queensland. Hi, Michelle. Welcome along. Hello. What are your thoughts, Michelle? Well, they're probably a little bit different to yours. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I'm not for gay marriage or anything like that. Um, but my thoughts are, are we meant to become political? Um, I, I just think, was Jesus political? Uh, he said to pray for those in authority over you, um, that you can live in peace. And I'm thinking that if we become political, you can, um, it can change things, but maybe not for the good. Uh, there's some interesting thoughts in there. I'll like, hear from John Gagliardi. Well, the, the Bible says to speak the truth with love. As Christians, we must operate with love. If we become haters like we're accused of being, then we deserve to be attacked. But Jesus also didn't. I mean, he threw the money changes out of the temple. I mean, it wasn't like he was a pacifist. He, he, he stood up for what was right. I don't think we should become political. I think that's wrong. We should not stand up and say, um, you know, that we, we put support a particular party publicly or anything like that. But moral issues, you know, we, if if we start to accept the fact that there are no absolutes, once you take God out, there are no absolutes. Everything is relative. Ethics become situational. You know, my truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. There is no absolute truth. That's a slippery slope, and anything can happen after that. So unless we stand up against that. Yes, we should pray. Yes, we should deal in love, but we also have to confront. We have to engage our, we have to engage our, we have to be the salt and the light. Salt and the light's not always comfortable, but that's what we're told to be. And uh, Michelle, yeah. just following on from that, and, uh, and I think you actually reflect uh, a lot of people who are in the Christian community who would be saying, let's not be political, let's not be activists, because... Uh, looking at uh, the scriptures, looking at Jesus. But, uh, but of course, Jesus was the perfect image of God. He was uh, God incarnate. And, yeah. of course, uh, when we think back into the Old Testament times and, and God who gave the Ten Commandments uh, to yeah. Moses, uh, there, was, there was a law in that. And, of course, uh, uh, all of the, uh, the challenges that the children of Israel had when they went and they were uh, moving into the Promised Land, well, there was cer- certainly something uh, political in all of that because it was exchanging one set of values for another. And in this values exchange comes the whole challenge of what we have. And, of course, we work in a democracy. And so we have an opportunity to be able to vote according to the values that we hold in our own hearts. So when we vote according to our values, and sometimes I I get the impression that Christians feel like their vote is separate to their faith. And uh, and that's going to be a challenge. And sometimes I think we need to get to a point where where we actually uh, uh, align our vote with our values. 
and that will be an important way to to uh, to, to vote when it comes to the next election. Uh, any thoughts on that, uh, John Gagliardi? Yeah, I, I think um, we need to be careful that we don't use the word political to stop us from standing up for righteousness. As I said, we are supposed to be light and salt, and I, I, I think I don't think churches should promote particular political parties. I think that's wrong, as I keep saying. But I think um, we need to look at our local member. We should ask them. The Christian lobby um, has uh, little little seminars and sessions where they, they ask the local member or the, um, the various people standing for their local seat on a whole series of issues. I think that's important. You need to know what your local members believe in, where they stand on, on moral, ethical issues, Judeo-Christian issues. And if they're going to say, yes, well, I'm going to throw prayer out of Parliament if I get elected or whatever, as, as Mr Latham once did, then we have to oppose that. That's not being political. I mean, that. well, in one sense it is, but we have a right to stand up for what we believe in and, and what we're mandated by the Bible. I think what you're referring to is uh, this idea of being partisan so much, and uh, there will be people who are listening to our conversation now who are saying, well, I'm a member of the Liberal Party or the National Party or the Labor Party. Uh, don't tell me I shouldn't be political because there is a certain sense in which uh, you know people are, are driven to their feeling of their side of politics. But when you talk about being a Christian, well, I guess we're saying well, don't be so partisan as much as you are uh, having a values base that's aligned to the Bible. Absolutely. The Judeo-Christian ethic. I mean, that's what we, we, we should live out and not be, not be frightened. Don't get pushed into a corner and into our little Christian ghetto. Well, thank you so much to Michelle for your input today here on 2020 and uh, running short of time a little now and uh, almost time for Focus on the Family. Uh, John Gagliardi, if we were drawing all the loose ends together and uh, and if we were just sort of uh, trying to uh, end on a high note, when we talk about becoming a, a Christian activist, someone who's a backyard activist, and whether you're in a small town or a big city, I guess you've got to take some sort of a step to towards doing that. What sort of a decision does it take to say, okay, I'm going to from now I'm going to be something uh, that's that's a bit more active rather than passive? Well, some practical steps is is to actually find out who your local member is. I mean, a lot of people don't even know. They vote for them once every three years and then forget them. Get their address. Um, if there's an issue that you need, you know, get get in touch. I think some of the things we've heard today are absolutely exciting. The fact that people are prepared to, to, to get engaged and, and, and talk about it. But don't be, don't be backward. Don't be a, a pacifist. Don't, don't sort of, um, you know, yes, we're all about peace and love. But at the same time, we must confront unrighteousness. Jesus did. Well, certainly great insights today and uh, always appreciate your being part of uh, what we do here on 2020, John. And uh, uh, it's not so much uh, for me to say, uh, where do I get people in contact with you, I, I suppose, uh, in your current role there with the Haggai Institute in Australia, uh, developing Christian leaders. Uh, people can certainly Google Haggai Institute and uh, be in touch with you, uh, but certainly a lot of rich background in uh, being able to share some of these things about directions we ought to be thinking about because so many of those big battles are still ahead of us as Christian believers. Uh, John Gagliardi has been our guest. John, it's great to hear your thoughts. Thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. There's nowhere, nowhere else I'd rather be. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. 
Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.